Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. I'd like you to keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 7, but go with me to the book of Proverbs just real quickly. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning, but go to Proverbs just as we get started. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely found the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 18, and like I said during the announcements today, we are finishing up our series on a faithful uh, family. We spent seven weeks in this series, talked about uh, raising children, talked about having good marriages, and then last week I talked about advice for single mothers and blended families. This week the sermon is entitled Advice for Singles and Dating Couples. Advice for Singles and Dating Couples. Now, of course, if you are here this morning and you are a single or you are a dating couple, this sermon is for you, all right? I want you to pay attention, take notes, really listen up. But maybe you're here and you say, well, I'm already married, you know, uh, but you may have children that will one day be dating, and this sermon could help you. Even if your children are young, this, it'd be good for you as a parent. I'm going to apply a lot of things to parents uh, to kind of understand how to do this biblically so you can lead and guide your children to do it properly. Even if you're a grandparent, you might have grandchildren that one day will be dating and, and getting married and things like that. So all of that can be helpful. We can all learn from the Word of God, of course. What I want to do this morning is I want to give singles and dating couples, basically, I want to ask them to make three commitments as they are, they are in this stage of life. There are three commitments that I see in Scripture that they should be making. I want to encourage them to make those commitments. I want to encourage parents to encourage their children to make these commitments. And I'd like you to write these statements down. Uh, before we get into the Proverbs, in fact, let me just give you the first statement. Go ahead and write this down. I'd like you to write down the statement. Number one, you should commit commit to the proper purpose of dating. Commit to the proper purpose of dating. Today, you know, we have a lot of ideas. People have a lot of ideas of what it means to date and to be in a dating relationship. But I want you to understand that when you come to the Bible, there is one proper purpose for dating, and that is marriage. The end game of dating is marriage. We don't, you don't date just to have fun, just to have a good time, just to do things with other people. All of that is fine and all of that is part of it. But the purpose of dating is marriage. And if you are here this morning and you're single, you're a young person, you're getting ready to start dating, maybe you're a few years away or maybe you're dating right now or you're in that state, I want you to commit, number one, to the proper purpose of dating. And here's what I want you to understand. Most people should get married. Now, I'm not saying all people should get married, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, but most people should get married. I would say for most people, it is God's will that they marry. Are you there in Proverbs 18? Look down at verse number 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Proverbs 18, 22 says this, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Why don't you notice the word find there or findeth? The Bible's telling us that if you're going, if you're going to get married, guys, it's not just going to come to you, okay? You're going to have to go out and find that wife. You know, you're going to have to go, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about dating. You know, you go out and you find that wife. And look, you say, is God against that? No, God says, hey, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 2.18 says this, and the Lord God said, remember we saw this uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about marriage, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. See, God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. God said, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. So when we're talking about dating, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about finding a wife. We're talking about finding a husband. And God says, that's a good 
thing. Now, make your way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And when you get to 1 Corinthians, put a bulletin or a ribbon or something there because we're going to leave 1 Corinthians and we're going to come back to it throughout the sermon. Uh, we're going to be in 1 and 2 Corinthians a lot this morning. So just uh, make sure that you keep your place there. I want to say this, though. I would say that for most people, it is God's will that they marry. It's God's will that they engage in dating. Why? For the purpose of marriage, to find a wife to find a husband. But I will say this, there may be a rare exception to that rule of, of marriage. I believe that it may not be every, uh, God's will for everybody to get married, but I would say that is rare. That is an exception to the rule. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, we see this as the example of the Apostle Paul himself. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 6. He says, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Now, what does that mean when he says, but I speak this of permission, not of commandment? Basically, what he's saying is this. God is allowing me to give you some advice, but understand that this is not a commandment of God. So he's saying, this is not something that God is commanding. I'm just giving you some advice. Uh, you know, the Lord is giving me permission to kind of give you some advice, but I don't want you to take this as something that you have to do or you must do. He says, I'm not speaking of commandment. Look at verse 7. He says, for I would. This is the advice that he's giving. He says, I would. He, what's that mean? I would. He's saying, I will or I wish. He says, I would that all men were even as I myself. Notice what he says. But every man hath his proper gift of God. Here's what he's saying. He says, I wish everybody was like me because Paul was unmarried. He says, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. What he's saying is, I understand that not everybody has the gifts and the abilities that I have. Paul's saying, I have a gift that God has given me where I can be content and not be married and serve God in that capacity. He says, I would or I wish that everybody could be that way, but I understand that not everybody has that proper gift. That's why he says, I'm speaking by permission and not commandment. Look at verse 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, notice what he says, it is good for them if they abide even as I. What is he saying? He's saying, look, it'd be good if you just remained single. It'd be good if you didn't, if you didn't get married. But notice verse 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. So he's saying, look, some people cannot contain. Some people, if they live their lives as a single person, they're going to end up, you know, uh, in all sorts of sin and uh, things they shouldn't be doing. If they cannot contain marriage. But he's saying, it may be God's will for a single individual that's never been married to remain unmarried. And Paul explains in this passage that it is because he's able to serve God without anything holding him back, without any responsibilities. He's able to just give himself 100% to God. And he says, that's a good thing, but it's not for everybody. He says, I speak this by permission and not by commandment. And, and by the way, you know, to be a pastor, one of the qualifications is that you be married. So obviously, if you want to be a pastor, you can't be, you know, just living as a single person, even if you're living a godly life, you know, because God makes a qualification there about having mar being married and having children. Look at verse 28, 1 Corinthians 7, 28. He says, but and, just to make the point, he says, but and if thou marry. He says, if you end up getting married, he says, thou is not sin. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Look down at verse 37, same chapter. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin 
So what does that mean? He's saying, if somebody's standing steadfast, they have no necessity, they have power over their own will, they have self-control, and they have decreed to maintain their purity, to stay a virgin, to not get married. Notice what he says. He says, he doeth well. At the end of the verse, he says, doeth well. So I want you to understand that I do believe that it is God's will for most people to get married, but there may be some rare exceptions like the Apostle Paul who don't get married, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as you are maintaining your purity and you're giving yourself to God, those are good things. But let me say this, though, because, again, what are we talking about? What's the first commitment? The first commitment is that you commit uh, to the proper purpose of dating. What is the purpose of dating? It is to marry. It is to find a wife. It is to find a husband. That is the whole point. So with that said, since marriage is the purpose of dating, then there are certain situations in which individuals should not date. What are those situations? Again, I'm talking to single, young people, married people, uh, people that have never been married, excuse me, or people that are widowed, okay? We dealt with divorce and remarriage last week. I'm not going to go back there. But let me say this. For those of you that have the biblical option of getting married, you may not be in the place to start dating because of the fact that dating, the purpose of dating is to find a spouse, You should not date, in my opinion, if you are too young to marry. And I look, I realize that today this is not a popular thing, but today in our society, it's normal for 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds. They're dating. They've got a girlfriend. They've got a boyfriend. But listen to me. A 14-year-old's not ready to get married. So why are they dating? I'm not even comfortable with 16-year-olds dating. You know, a 17-year-old, you know, in our home, and and look, I speak by permission and not commandment, okay? I'm just giving you my thought and my opinion on this. My wife and I have decided that our children will not date until they're 17 years old because they can't even get married until they're 18. So what's the point of having a 15-year-old running around, you know, dating and having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend? You know, and and today you've got 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds talking about this stuff. Look, the purpose of dating is marriage. So if, you, if the purpose of dating is marriage and you're too young to marry, then you're too young to date. You should not be dating until you are at the age that you can actually marry. And let me say this. you know, And again, I, I speak by permission. All right, I'm just giving you my thoughts. You guys do whatever you want. I'm not against you. And if you've done other things, I'm not against you. My wife and I got married when we were 18 years old. We got married two weeks after we graduated high school, after I graduated high school, um, you know, and, and it worked out great for us, and I'm glad, we're glad we did it, and praise the Lord. But here's the thing. We have actually decided in our home that we're going to encourage our children to not marry until they're 20 years old. Now, look, they may do it before that, because in our country, when you're 18 years old, you get to make your own decisions, and nobody can stop you, right? But we're just going to try to encourage them and try to help them to just make the decision to not marry until they're 20 years old. You say, why, why is that? Because in the Bible, you're not even considered an adult until you're 20 years old. You don't have to turn there, but in Numbers 1.3 says this, From 20 years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And again, if our children decide to not do that, that's their decision. That's just how we're going to try to encourage. But here's the thing. 
they can't even, they're not even eligible legally for marriage till they're 18. So we just think, you know, 17 years is a good age for people to start. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't, you know, you should not be allowing your 13-year-olds to be talking about girlfriends and boyfriends and these things. They're too young to get married, so they're too young to be dating. Why? Because the purpose of dating is marriage. Now, with that said, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. With that said, what, what was the first point? The first point was to, that you commit to the proper purpose of dating, that you commit to the proper purpose of dating. What is the proper purpose of dating? Marriage. So if you're too young to marry, you're too young to date. But let me say this. Since the proper purpose of dating is marriage, I also believe that you should not date someone who is not saved. You should not date someone who is not saved. You say, why? Because you should not marry someone who is not saved. And if you should not marry someone that is not saved, and the purpose of dating is marriage, then don't even date someone who's not saved. You say, where do you get that from the Bible? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this is not specifically talking about marriage. This is talking about partnering up with unbelievers in general. I don't think, I don't think you know, a saved person should be partnering up in business with an unsaved person. You know? I don't think they should be partnering up in, in any, you know, something where you're yoking up and you're partnering with them. But here's what he's saying. You know, but look, is there any bigger partnership in this world than marriage? It says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And here's what the Bible is teaching is that, you know, and, and, and there's other places where we learn this principle too, but saved people should marry saved people. Look, you should, be, you should be marrying believers. You should be marrying people in the Lord. You should be marrying people that are saved. You should not marry someone that's not saved. And you say, well, that doesn't really affect, you know, anything if I'm saved and she's not saved. That's what they all say till the children come along. Then all of a sudden, it's like, well, actually, well, I wanted them to go to the Catholic Church. It's like, yeah, well, you married a Catholic. That's why. That's the problem. You know, marry someone who believes like you. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So when we understand and when we commit ourselves to the proper purpose of marriage, what's the proper purpose of marriage? Uh, excuse me, of dating? It's marriage. The proper purpose of dating is marriage. So if you're dating, you're dating for the purpose of finding the person that you're going to marry. Therefore, if you're too young to marry, you're too young to date. And if you can't marry them because they're not saved, you shouldn't date them. And, you know, today you'll have people, people will hear my testimony. You know, uh, back, uh, I think last year on, on our anniversary, my wife and I's anniversary landed on a Sunday. On that Sunday, I preached a sermon entitled, How I Met My Wife. And I went through our testimony, and I, I, and, and I taught some things from our testimony and from Scripture, of course. And I talked about how we met and how, you know, I w- the, the Lord allowed me to get my wife saved, you know, and things like that. And that's been a, a message. I mean, just, just last week, somebody was telling me they were blessed by that sermon. I think that sermon has like 6,000 views or something on, on YouTube. It's, it's, I get a lot of feedback from that sermon, people telling me they, they liked it or it helped them or whatever. But, you know, sometimes people hear that testimony or they'll hear uh, a similar testimony to Pastor Anderson where he got his wife saved, you know? And, and they'll, they'll think like, oh, so, you know, we should go start dating, you know, unbelievers. But please understand this. Something that I did, never did and something that Pastor Anderson never did was date an unbeliever. We got an unbeliever saved, got them in church, they started growing, and then we dated them. 
That's different than getting involved, you know, emotionally and romantically with someone that's not even saved because you're hoping you're going to get them saved. Look, that's a bad deal. And then, and then here's what that brings is, is you know, they understand that, oh, they're not going to marry me unless I say this prayer. So you get these false conversions. Then you wake up one day, you know, next to a reprobate or something. You know, I'm just telling you, do yourself a favor and don't date people that are not believers. And don't date people that are not believers. And you say, well, I'm a single guy. Then get girls saved. Bring them to church. Get them baptized. Help them grow in the Lord. Disciple them. And and if it's God's will, maybe it'll open up to something like that. But you know, the purpose of dating is marriage. So number one, commit to the proper purpose of dating. What is that? It's marriage. Therefore, if you're too young to marry, you're too young to date. Therefore, you should not marry unbelievers because it's not going to work out well for you. Here's point number two. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Point number one was commit to the proper purpose of dating. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's point number two. Commit to protect your purity while dating. Commit to protect your purity while dating. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches on the subject of purity. And here's what I want to tell single people and uh, dating couples is that you, could, you should commit to protect your purity. You should determine to remain pure. What am I talking I'm talking about being a virgin until your wedding day. Male and females should commit in the Lord to say, I will remain, I will protect, I will keep my purity until the day that I'm married. Now look, if you're listening to me preach this and you say, I've already messed that up, that's already gone, then you know, just ask God to forgive you and from here on, determine to protect your purity. But the best thing, God's will, would be that a young man and a young woman would walk down the aisle and, uh, you know, say I do and vow, uh, give a vow to God and to each other and that they would be pure when they do that and that they would be virgins when they do that. And I understand that is not what's taught today in our society, but you know what? I don't care what the society teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Notice what the Bible says. Paul says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. People say like, well, if I do that, am I going to lose my salvation? No, you know what? All things are lawful unto you, but that doesn't mean that all things are expedient or convenient or in your best interest. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Look at verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, notice what he says. The body is not for fornication. What's fornication? It's a physical relationship before marriage. It says the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Hey, listen to me, young people. Children, teenagers, young adults that are single, you need to understand that your body belongs to God. It is God. He owns it. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Notice verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Notice verse 18, flee fornication. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication is anything against his own body. Young people, listen to me very carefully. Every sin that a man committed is without the body. 
You do all sorts of sins. You steal something. You smoke something. You say something. You do things, and it affects things outside the body. But there is something about the sin of physical relationship that messes with you up here. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, the Bible says. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And you know, when you end up counseling with people in their 30s and in their 40s and in their 50s and they're bringing up to you sins from their youth, they're usually not bringing up to you the fact that they stole an M&M's bag. They're usually not bringing up to you the fact that they cheated on their test in high school. They're usually bringing up sins that have to do with the physical relationship. Why? Because every sin that a man committed is outside his body. But when you fornicate, you are sinning against your own body. It's a sacred place. It's a sacred thing. Commit to keep purity. Commit to keep clean. Commit to not sin against God in that area. Look at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, you say, what, what, what do you want to tell young people? Well, first thing I want to tell them is to commit to the proper purpose of dating. But secondly, I want to tell them to commit to protect their purity while dating. Commit to protect your purity while dating. Now, I want to give you some specific ways that you can do that, some practical ways. But before you do that, let me just speak to something real quickly. In, in fact, just go with me. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 22. Genesis, Exodus. I heard one of the stupidest so-called biblical teachings, you know, recently, where somebody was trying to make this point, where if you end up committing fornication with someone, you're all of a sudden married with them. Or, or like if, you, if, if a child is born out of wedlock, you know, now you're married to that person. And, and you know, they, they went to Exodus 22, and I just want to deal with this. Exodus 22 and verse 16. And by the way, this is why you want to be careful about getting biblical teaching from people that have not read their Bible. You know, I think this individual, I, I can say with some, some assurity that they've read their Bible up to Exodus twenty two sixteen, Because they go to Exodus twenty two sixteen and they're like, if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. And he's like, see, shotgun wedding. And he's like, Pastor, he meant he's talking about single moms. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not in the Bible. Hey, idiot, why don't you read verse 17? And if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. Look, just because you fornicate doesn't mean you're married. The Bible says that the father could utterly refuse. Why? Because look, listen, obviously we don't want people to fornicate. But there are some instances where someone may give in to that sin and end up having a child, and it's actually the best thing for them to not marry that person, which is why the father would refuse if her father refused to give her unto him. In some instances, it's better to be a single mom and not marry some idiot or marry some guy. And, look, you know, this guy is going around attacking me, attacking our church on the Internet publicly. And here's what upsets me. He's trying to attack men, okay? He's trying to attack men who have chosen, men who work hard, men who start businesses, who run successful businesses. This guy's never ran a hot dog stand. You know, he, he's never built a doghouse. And, and he wants to attack men. You know, and listen to me. You know the men that should be respected and admired in our society? The men who choose to marry a woman that have children, 
and that man chooses to love those children and to provide for those children and to accept, that's a man that you should respect. And these guys that are attacking men like that, you know what, you're not half that man. And, you know, here's what's, what's funny about that. It's like, oh, you know, and they, they want to talk about, oh, you're putting your resources into somebody else's uh, offspring. Oh, do you mean like Joseph, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that who you're attacking? Because I think the Lord Jesus Christ was probably thankful that a man was willing to love him and accept him and provide for him, even though it wasn't his offspring. Look, and when people make stupid statements like that, investing your resources into somebody else's offspring, here's what that should tell you. You're talking to someone who's highly covetous. They speak only in terms of materialism. Investing my resources into the, uh, you know, uh, another man's offspring. This guy is a loser. I, I, would, I would rather line myself up with men like Joseph, men who are willing to love children and take them in even if maybe their own parents aren't willing to or their own fathers and then you know here's the worst part he wants to use the animal world these lions these law you know you know they want to act like they're intellectuals they don't even know how to spell want to act like they're intellectuals you know the bible says that making themselves wise they became fools and, you know, they, these lions and these birds, you know, they would never do something. Like that. Let me explain something to you. I know you haven't got to this part in your Bible reading yet, but in 2 Peter 2.12, the Bible says this, But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not. You know, what the Bible teaches that the only people who look at animals and say, Oh, we should act like that, are a bunch of filthy reprobates. The only people that would look at a lion or look at a bird and say, well, that's how we should run society and that's how marriage should be. The only people that would act like that are a bunch of animals themselves. They're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. And it's funny because they speak evil of things that they understand not. Things like work, things like women, things like responsibility, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. You know, and this guy's attacking. And let me just, you know, let, let me just settle some things. Because this guy's attacking our church, and he's attacking individuals in our church who are divorced and remarried. And you know what? We preach against divorce, and I preach against divorce, but you know what? People can be forgiven for divorce. Doesn't God forgive? Can't you move on? And, and he'll attack people who are divorced, and here's what he'll say. Say, well, in the New Testament, divorce is called adultery. And in the Old Testament, adultery, like real adultery, where a man who's married goes out and, you know, commits adultery on his wife, is supposed to be put to death. So therefore, we should put these people to death. Okay, let me explain something to you. This guy has admitted to having a pornography problem. Let me explain something to you. The Bible says that if a man look on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So by your feeble-minded Bible interpretation, we should put you to death. Why don't we start with you? You know, and it's like you say, well, why, why are you dealing with this? Here's why I'm dealing with this. Because these people, you know, I want to teach them a lesson on judgment. And I want to teach them how to spell it too. But I, I want to teach them a lesson on judgment. Because, look, doesn't the Bible say, judge not that you be not judged? Maybe you should deal with the beam that is in your eye before you start trying to call people's sins out. You know, maybe you should just get your own. And, and people say, like, oh, you know, you, you should stop preaching against these guys that you threw out and you ran out. And, and let me say this. I threw one out, and I ran out the rest. They try to act like, oh, they try to act like there was some sort of a church split. 
We left of our, of our own accord. Or really, because I'm pretty sure the last service that you were here on a Sunday night, I got up behind this pulpit and I said, I'm sick and tired of dealing with this. Tonight you make a decision. You get in or you get out. And that was their last service. And I got an email saying, you know, in the subject line, decision, we're getting out. I don't think, you didn't leave. I ran you out. You, I kicked you out. I ran you out. And people were like, oh, well, you should stop, you know, you should stop preaching about the sins of these guys that you kicked out and you ran out. Listen to me. If I stop preaching against the sins of these guys, then I can't preach against pride. I can't preach against covetousness. I can't preach on contention. I can't preach on sodomy. I mean, I can't preach on anything. Laziness. You say, oh, sodomites? I don't know. You know, when three single guys are hanging out at Costco, it's just a little weird. Now, look, I get it. I get it. I get it that three unemployed guys would be hanging out at Costco for the free samples. I get that. But, you know, when these people are just openly attacking our church, you know, attack me. Go, you have, your, have all your fun with me. But when you start attacking our church people, you know, you just cross lines. And you need to get your own sin dealt with before you start trying to call out people for stupid garbage. It's wrong. You know, and, and these, these guys, you know, and here's, here's how it goes. So you, you call them out, you preach, you just prove them wrong. So then how do they respond? Oh, yeah? Well, you're short. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, you win. Listen to me. When you're fighting with someone and they're, and they're you know, gotcha is your short, let me explain something to you. You're winning. All right, look. I have as much control about being short as these guys have control over the fact that they were born imbeciles. Okay, why don't you just argue the Bible? Why don't you just look at Scripture? You say, well, I don't think you should be saying this thing. You know what? These people are brute beasts made to be destroyed. And you know, you, you should judge not that ye be not judged. You say, well, I don't think you should be bringing up our sins. Then don't bring up other people's sins. Amen. Then just deal with your own sins and get yourself right with God. You know, and stop bringing up all sorts of stupid garbage. Anyway, go back to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Let's talk about how to protect your purity. First Corinthians 7. How do you protect your purity? You know, the first thing that you should do as a young person to protect your purity is that you should determine not to touch another member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says this. Notice what Paul says. He says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, he says, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now what's the context of that? Saying it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So what's he talking about? Here's what he's saying. You shouldn't touch a woman if it's going to lead to fornication. That's the context. And I want to make sure you understand that. Go to Luke, just real quickly. Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Because some people take that verse a little too far. You know, uh, now considering the things where you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I've literally known of churches where they're like against, you know, a man shaking another woman's hand. Because the Bible says, you know, uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Yeah, if, it's gonna, if that touch is going to lead to fornication, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let everyone have her husband. I don't believe it's talking about just like a shaking of hand or something that's, you know, a general thing like that. You say, well, why don't you think that? Well, are you there in Luke 7? Look at verse 36. Was our Lord Jesus Christ perfect and without sin? Luke 7, 36 says this, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went out into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. 
And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it. He spake with it himself, saying, This woman, uh, I'm sorry, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that is that, notice the word, toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So here we have a woman who's washing the feet of, the feet of Jesus, which is a common practice in their culture. He's actually rebuking them for saying, you know, I came into your house and you didn't wash my feet. I came into your house and you didn't do these things. So look, was Jesus against, you know, it, first of all, is this woman doing that in a romantic, physical way? The answer is no. All right, Jesus was perfect. He was pure. He was without sin. But this woman was touching him in a way, and obviously in our culture that would be weird, all right? We're not going to start a foot washing ministry. But, you know, in their culture, it was accepted. Here's all I'm saying. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody shaking a hand, you know, or something like that. But I, but I do think if you're, if you're touching in a way that's going to lead to a physical relationship, especially in sin, that's inappropriate. You know, I don't, I don't think and I don't want, you know, males and females that aren't married to each other hugging each other, Okay. I think a handshake is fine. Um, you know, other than that, I, I don't, it's, you know, other cultures do other things and you let them do whatever they're going to do. But the point that I'm making is it's not saying, like, you can't shake a hand, okay? It's talking about not touching in a way that it's kind of romantic or a physical uh, type thing. So, look, young people, you young people, you singles and dating couples, hey, you should determine not to touch. You know, you should determine maybe not to, not to hold hands on dates, or things like that. You say, why? Because it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. Okay, so determine. So how do we talk about protecting your purity? Well, determine not to touch a member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way. But there's another way. Go to Romans chapter number 13. Romans. If you're there in Luke, you're going to go past John, Acts, Romans. If you're in 1 Corinthians, you're going to go back into Romans. Romans 13. So how, what are ways that you can protect your purity? Well, number one, determine not to touch a member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way. But number two, determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. And by the way, this is good when you're single, when you're dating, and when you're married. You know, it's a good rule to just, if you're a married man, to not be alone with another woman that you're not married to. You know, as a rule, I try to make sure that I'm never alone with a woman that I, I'll be alone with my mom, you know, or my sister or my wife, but I, try, I don't ride in cars with women that I'm not married to or things like that. Um, you say, why? Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Well, that word provision means supplying resources or opportunities and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. See, when you are alone together, what you're doing is you're making provision for the flesh. You're giving your flesh an opportunity to maybe go down a road that you never wanted to, you never intended to. I just believe when people are dating, they ought to date in public places. You know, don't be alone in some room. Don't be alone by yourself. Don't be alone uh, with someone in order to protect your purity. Determine not to touch each other, you know, in a romantic way in order to protect your purity. Let me say this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Look at verse 1. 1 Timothy 5, 1. 
First Timothy 5.1 says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. He's talking about how you should deal with people in church. An elder, you should entreat him as a father. The younger men as brethren. You know, and by the way, the Bible is teaching here that men within church, the younger men, you know, and by the way, in the Bible, a younger man is 60 years old and under. You know, you should treat each other as brothers, and you guys can have that relationship. But you know, as a pastor, as an elder, either as a pastor or someone who's physically older, the Bible's teaching me here that I should have try, attempt to have a different relationship where I'm not necessarily just buddy-buddies. And obviously, we want to be friends with everybody, but there are lines that can be crossed there. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers. You know, we should treat our elder women in our church as mothers. Notice what the Bible says, though. The younger, the younger what? The younger women as sisters with all purity. Listen to me. We have had guys in this church that are, you know, dating age, and they're running around like a dog in heat. You know, it's good to find a wife in church. It's good to, to date and to get to know people. But make sure you are treating these girls with all purity. Make sure you're being appropriate with them, and you're not making stupid statements and saying things about them. Talking about them with other people. Hey, the Bible says a man that uh, uh, the elder women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with all purity. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk to them. You shouldn't. Look, Proverbs 18, where we started, whoso findeth the wife, findeth the good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Verse 23, in that passage, you don't have to turn there. In that passage, the poor uses entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. Verse 24, just two verses underneath the whoso finds the wife finds the good thing says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So look, when you're dating, you're going to have to obviously be friendly and go talk to people and meet people, but make sure that you are dealing with the ladies in this church with all purity. That you're not making inappropriate statements about them to them. You know, have some respect for yourself. Go to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So point number one was to commit to the proper purpose of dating. And point number two was to commit to protect your purity while dating. How do you protect your purity while dating? Well, one is you determine to not touch a member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way. And other ways that you determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex when you're not married to them. A third way is that you determine to be appropriate with the members of the opposite sex. Whether you're dating or not, you should always treat the ladies in our church with purity and respect and honor. But number four, and this one's for the parents, determine to chaperone your children's dates. Determine to chaperone your children's dates. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, go to Deuteronomy 22. Look at verse 13. Deuteronomy 22, 13 says this. Now, look, we don't live under the Old Testament law. This law doesn't apply to us today, but there's principles that we can learn from it, and I want to point that out to you. Deuteronomy 22, 13. If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her and give occasion of speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. Now, the word maid there in the Old Testament is referring to a virgin, all right? This is talking about a man that marries a girl, and then he brings up an evil name upon her saying she's not a virgin. And by the way, ladies, when people say she's not a virgin, that's an evil name. That's not a name you don't want. Protect, that's what I'm talking about. Protect your purity. Ladies and men, boys and girls, don't have an evil name of being a whore or a whoremonger. He says I, it's an evil name upon her. He says, I found her not a maid. But this guy's lying. Look at verse 15. 
Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elder, I gave my daughter unto his man, this man to wife, and he hateth her. And lo, he hath given occasion of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a maid, yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall immerse him in an hundred shekels of silver, and give them unto the father of the damsel, because he hath brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. That's how we know the word maid is referring to virgin. And she shall be his wife. He may not put her away all his day. This guy's trying to get a divorce, because he's saying, well, she wasn't a virgin and she's not allowed to because the, the father was able to prove the fact that the girl was a virgin we don't live under this law we don't do these things but i just want you to understand this the principle we can learn is that god expects the father to ensure the virginity and purity of his children he was able to say no he's lying she's a virgin i can prove it and you know as a father you i you look I, again i'm speaking by permission you do what you want but when my children are old enough, my daughters are old enough to start dating and my sons, we're going to make sure that they're chaperoned, that there's never an opportunity where they're alone. Now, look, we will give them time, you know, we'll sit across the restaurant from them, all right, so they can be on the other side and have some, you know, be able to be private or whatever. Or, you know, we'll make sure. But look, we're not just going to let them go off around town by themselves. Why? Because I want to be able to stand. I want to stand there on that wedding day and say, I can assure she's a virgin. Amen. I can assure he's a virgin. I took my responsibility as father, you know, seriously. So look, what are we talking about? We're talking about commit to the proper purpose of dating. What's the proper purpose of dating? It's marriage. So if the proper purpose of dating is marriage and you're too young to marry, you're too young to date. If the proper purpose of dating is marriage and you can't marry an unbeliever, then you shouldn't date an unbeliever. We talked about commit to protect your purity while dating. How do you do that? Well, you determine not to touch a member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way. You determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex so that you're not making provision for the flesh. You, as a parent, make sure that they are supervised and chaperoned until the day that they are married. Number three, commit to prepare patiently before dating. Commit to prepare patiently before dating. You know, what is it that you're supposed to do when you're too young to date or maybe you're old enough to date but you're not dating anybody? That, that special gal or that special guy hasn't came by yet. You're still waiting. What should you be doing? Well, you should be patiently preparing yourself. Don't allow that time to be wasted. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to read for you out of Ruth chapter number 3. But, you know, we talk a lot about the virtuous woman, don't we? Proverbs 31, and that's a great passage. You know, every young lady in this church should read that, study it, understand Proverbs 31 and what it means to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And what is the Proverbs 31 woman? She's a hard worker. She's loyal. She's faithful. She's kind. She's, she's the perfect wife, right? She's the perfect mother. Proverbs 31 gives us just a great example of a married lady, of a wife who's just hitting it out of the park in those areas. Here's what's interesting, though. There's only one time in the Bible that a lady is called a virtuous woman. Now, in Proverbs 31, we, we describe a virtuous woman. And early in the book of Proverbs, it tells us about, you know, a virtuous woman being someone that you want to marry. But there's only one person in the Bible who's called a virtuous woman, one lady, 
and it's Ruth. I'll read it for you. Ruth, Ruth 3.11 says this. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do thee all that thou requires. For all the city of my people does know that thou art a virtuous woman. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Ruth is called a virtuous woman, right? What's a virtuous woman? The perfect, the exceptional, the godly wife and mother. But here's what's interesting. The one lady in the entire Bible who's called a virtuous woman is not married and has no children. At the time, Ruth is not married. She was married before and her husband died. She has no children because they want to raise up children for her husband. And she's not married. What does that tell me? That tells me that when you as a young lady, and by the way, this applies to men too, or you as a young man are not married and you're not children uh, and you don't have children, you know what you should be doing? You should be working at becoming that virtuous woman or becoming that virtuous man, but, you know, preparing yourself. You say, why was Ruth such a great, you know, uh, 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 option for Boaz? Why? Because even though it's not like she got married and said, well, now I got to work on becoming a virtuous woman. No, they said, you are a virtuous woman, even though she wasn't married. You know, and especially in our movement, and I don't, know, I don't think we have this problem at our church. I don't know. But I know I've heard of this, you know, where pe- these girls get this idea where they're like 18 years old. They're like, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit at home and just, you know, lay on the couch in my pajamas till the day I get married. That's not what the Bible says. So what should you be doing, you know, until you get married? You should be getting ready to get married. You should be preparing to get married. What should a young 17-year-old man, 18-year-old man, 19-year-old man, 20-year-old man, what should he be doing till the day he gets married? He should be getting ready and preparing himself patiently so that when that girl shows up, so that when that boy shows up, so that when those emotions are there, so that when everybody identifies this as God's will, we're not dealing with all this baggage. Hey, start dealing with that now. Prepare yourself now. You say, what are you talking about? Here's what I believe, and here's what we're going to try to do with our children. Look, my children are young, all right? I get that. We're going to try to do the best we can with them. But, you know, number one, young people need to be developing themselves spiritually. When you get married is not the time to start getting right with God. And by the way, when you get married is not the time to start dealing with your porn addiction, okay? You need to, if you have problems with that, you need to deal with that before you get married. And don't bring that baggage and that nightmare into that young lady's life. But, you know, what should a young man be doing? He should be developing himself spiritually, developing his daily disciplines, reading the Bible and memorizing the Bible, praying, being consistent to church, being a soul winner, those things. What else should a 17, 18-year-old young man be doing? Here's what he needs to be doing. He needs to be deciding on a career and getting started in that direction. Because, you know, the best thing that you could do is to be 18 years old, living at home, and you're just making you know, almost no money because you're starting at the bottom you know, of the ladder, but you're learning a trade or a skill or a career. And then when you get married at 20 years old or 21 years old or 22 years old, you've already been at a career for two, three, four years. Now you're in a position where you can start making money to provide for that wife to provide for that, for that family. So, you know, what should a young man be doing? He should be starting out a career. He shouldn't be 30 years old, unemployed, making videos on YouTube. He should be getting a career. He should be getting a job. He should be learning to work. What else should he be doing? You know, you should purchase a vehicle. 
when you have wife, when you have a wife and you have children, you're going to have to, you know, provide, you know, take them places and things. So get a vehicle. Here's what I would advise a young man. You know, be 18 years old, living at home, start a career, you know, start electrical work, carpentry work, tile work, construction, whatever. Start learning, save some money, get a car, and then save some money for a down payment on the house. And it, when you get married at 22 and you've got that $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 needed for a down payment on the house, that way you can get married, buy the house. Get your, what I'm saying is just look ahead and start making some decisions. Here's what I'm saying is patiently prepare for marriage. Amen. Patiently prepare for marriage. Save money. Get ready. You know, what can ladies do? You know, number one, develop yourself spiritually. Develop your daily disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and Bible memorization and, and church attendance and soul winning. All of that is, applies to you. But you know what? They should be learning the skills that they need. You know, a, a young teenage girl is at the place she should be cooking dinners for the entire family. You say, why? Because that's great training for one day, you know, to be able to cook meals for a family. They should be learning how to do the shopping, you know, for a household. And being frugal and getting good deals and figuring out, well, how much milk do we need for five children? And how much, you know, do we need for them? How much rice do we need to buy? They should be learning the skill. They should be learning skills like sewing, like cutting hair, like baking. You know, my wife bakes. I don't know. She bakes for our family and for my extended family. I don't know how many hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars she saved us over the years of never buying a birthday cake for anyone in our entire family. Why? Because she bakes awesome cakes, you know, and they're even better than the ones at the store. You know, my wife uh, cuts our children's hair. She cuts my hair. I need a haircut right now, so don't say anything. But, you know, she cuts our children. She cuts our, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars she's saved us by learning to uh, cut hair. You know, this is what young ladies should be doing. They should be learning skills. They should be learning how to homeschool. I know of a young lady. I think she's 17 years old. She doesn't come to this church. You don't know her. She has, a, like, a two-year-old daughter. Uh, good night. Not a two-year-old daughter. Uh, a two-year-old sister. Uh, the, the, you know, daughter of her, of, of her parents, of course. And she told mom, like, hey, let me potty train her. And she's basically, like, gets up in the middle of the night and deals with the potty training. And, you know, she was asked, why do you want to do that? And she said, because one day when I'm a mom, I'm going to have to potty train my children. I want to learn how to do it. So, you know, she's potty trained. We know of another family who their, their kids are, you know, out of high school. They were homeschooled. They're out of high school. They, they told my wife, the mom told my wife, oh, we do college at home. And my wife's like, what does that mean? And she says, well, basically, you know, because what do you do at college? They give you a book, you read it, and then you have to, like, write a report on it or study. I mean, that's basically what college is. I, I hate to break it to you. I know some people are really proud of their college degrees, but college is basically someone gives you a book, says, tells you to read it, learn the material, then you're tested on it. So what she does is she gets books for her daughters and her sons, books that she wants them to read, you know, to, books, books about parenting, books about marriage, books about cooking, books about these things. She assigns that to them. They read it. Then they have to write a report on it. They have to tell her. She gives them projects to do. Why? Because, look, young people need to be learning. Young people need to be learning and, and, and preparing themselves for the future. You know, my, my oldest son is 10 years old. And, you know, it's pretty young. Obviously, we're a long ways from them getting married. But, you know, at some point, as my boys get older, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them out back and start showing them a little bit about electrical and a little bit about HVAC. I'm, gonna, I'm not a mechanic, but I'll find some mechanic that can show them a little bit about mechanical and a little bit about construction and start talking to them about, you know, what do you like or what do you have the aptitude for? Why? So that when they're 17 years old, they're not like, what, what do I do? I'm going to go work at McDonald's and waste the next three years of my life. 
You know, but they can go and start a trade and start working. And you say, yeah, but they make no money But uh, when they first start out in those trades. Yeah, but when you're 17 and 18 and working at home, you don't need to make a lot of money. Just learn. Right. You know, my dad provided for us here. My, my dad, as an, as an immigrant who came to the United States in his 30, provided very well for our family here in the United States by remodeling kitchens, by doing cabinet work, by being a carpenter. But, you know, my dad tells me that when he was 12 years old, because in Venezuela you didn't have to go to school, you know, and he didn't want to go to school. So, you know, the best thing that his mother did for him was she she took this 12-year-old boy to a carpentry shop, and she said, my son will work for free. And he worked just every day for free for years. Why? Because she was a wise woman that got him to learn a trade. And guess what? He provided for our family very well. And he took care of us very well. Why? Because he learned that trade. And obviously, he's a very wise man, and he follows the Bible. But what I'm saying is this. Help your children. Don't just let them play video games, you know, and, and waste their life. Help your children. Train their children to start preparing for adulthood, to start preparing for the day that they will get married, to start preparing for the day that they will, um, you know, get, get, uh, you know be, be that wife and be that husband. You know, help them to commit to prepare patiently before dating. So what are we talking about when we're talking about, you know, married life? Um, number one, commit to proper purpose of dating. Number two, commit to protect your purity while dating. Number three, commit to prepare patiently before dating. Prepare yourself. Get yourself ready. You know, and if you're going to go to college and get that degree, then, then, you know, I've talked about that also. Make sure you get a degree that's actually going to give you a job that you can actually work and be successful at. You know, a, an employable degree that's going to give you a good job. Um, you know, go be an, an engineer. Go be an ele- electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. Don't, here's what I'm saying. Don't go get the liberal arts degree, okay? Don't go get the history degree. That may not get you a job. I know history is really interesting. But get a job that you're going to prepare. Here's all I'm trying to tell you is young people prepare. And look, if you're 16 and 17 years old, you need to start thinking about these things. Because what you don't want to be is you don't want to be the 19-year-old that's already married and has a kid on the way, and you're like, what am I going to do? You know, I don't know what to do. You know, so prepare yourself. Commit to prepare patiently before dating. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would please um, be with our young people, Lord. I, I pray that they, would, that they would commit today, that they would commit today, Lord, to understand the proper purpose of dating, to protect their purity, and to patiently prepare. And Father, I pray that you would help them to be successful. Lord, I pray that you would protect our church and help our church. Lord, I, ha- I pray that you would uh, remove these people that want to attack our church and our church people, Lord, just help them to get right with you or to just get out of town. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to never be afraid to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the people we love. And Lord, I pray that you just bless this church and bless us tonight as we gather together again. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.